And I believe we are live once again. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about racism. We've been talking about denial. We've been talking about gaslighting and how these things interact in racism. And we've talked uh, denial and gaslighting, how they react in racism. And then we took it on a personal level, how the denial and gaslighting uh, happen in our personal lives. And the idea was to unravel some of this stuff so that we could make our personal lives better and therefore our presence in the world better and as a ripple out the world itself better. Now we're going to move on to something a little juicier. And no disrespect to what's going on in the wider culture, but I think we all deserve some time to focus on ourselves. So today we're going to talk about intimacy, intimacy. And a friend of mine once said, intimacy is the equivalent of into me you see. If we really want to understand what intimacy is, it's really seeing and feeling one another. It's emotional closeness, it's connectedness with another person. Intimate relationships are characterized by mutual trust, mutual caring, and mutual acceptance. And it's interesting because very often when we talk about intimacy, it's immediately associated with what? Sex. And the joke is that if you talk to a guy about intimacy, he talks, he thinks about sex, right? Ha ha ha, because that's all guys think of. But I'd like to believe that men are evolving and becoming more relational, just as we see women becoming more goal-oriented in the business sphere, that there's a balancing out of male and female qualities within each and every one of us. And this whole gender, I'm looking, is it a rebellion or a revolution? Depends on who you talk to, is about that. It's about men discovering their female qualities and women discovering their male qualities and getting that um, these qualities are beyond the body we're born in in some ways. I'm not gonna speak out for or against that. I'm just saying I think that's part of what's driving this. So part of our sexuality might include intimacy. It's true. I mean, the ability to love and trust for and care for others in both sexual and other types of ways is really important. But really, intimacy is so much more than sex. And just to talk about sex for a second, we, we've all know that sex can be really the opposite of intimacy. Sex can be, you know, in the most extreme example, if someone pays for sex, is there any kind of relationship between the two people? Is it intimate in any way, shape, or form? A lot of sex professionals won't kiss because they believe that that crosses the line into intimacy and they don't want to have that. They are strictly selling their body and a, a sensation to the other person. And so that's an example of sex being far from intimate. And at the same time, what could be more intimate than physically being in somebody else's body? intimate maybe not in a positive way maybe intimate in a negative way and you know the the greeks uh, and romans actually the romans in particular uh, 
I think if you look at Emperor Caligula, he had all kinds of ideas about how to be intimate with people in a way that was unpleasant for them and uh, probably less than overly intimate. Uh, it wasn't safe, it was beyond safe, it was painful. And I think when we're talking about intimacy, we are not talking about pain. When we're talking about intimacy, we're talking about safety. When we're talking about intimacy, we're talking about nearness. We're talking about syrup on pancakes. We're talking about a warm blanket on a cold day. Intimacy is about taking emotional risks, sharing personal details and stories. And it doesn't automatically occur with sex. But what we do know is that when two people love each other and are committed to each other, the deeper that commitment, the more opportunity for sexual intimacy there is. What we do know is that there's something about that trust and commitment and sharing of oneself that builds sexual intimacy. And sexual intimacy is based on emotional intimacy. I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over. Let's talk about relationships, loving relationships, how they start and where they may break down. Because there's always breakdown in life. There are always challenges. This is what we're here for is to meet these challenges. Two people meet. They're attracted to one another. They go out on a date. Maybe it's love at first sight. Maybe it's love over several dates, but over time, they develop the sensation of being in love. Now to be clinical, being in love is proven to have a shelf life of two to three years on average. So we know it's a limited time, a limited offer being in love, that being in love. And there are some people who think that life and relationships are all about being in love and thus you have these repeat marriers who get married five six seven times they want that sensation of being in love and when it wears out after three years they get divorced or and then they do it all over again but marriage is about more than being in love but we'll get to that right so there you are two people are in love and when we're in love we're in the presence of someone who sees us for our full potential. We're in the presence of someone who sees us for everything we can be. They see our best qualities. And my God, you know, the joy of being in the presence of someone who sees me for all that I can be is amazing, right? I mean, and they are loving me for who I was as a child, who I am now, and who they see me as in the future. Like what love could be greater than that? It's probably the closest thing to having an experience of, of God's love that I can imagine. Just, it feels like unconditional love. And we're doing the same thing for them. And when we're in love, we're doing everything we can to show that. Uh, our good friend of mine, that's, an, that's a stretch. Someone I really like and respect wrote the five love languages. And the five love languages states that each one of us has our favorite love language. And I've done all kinds of bits on the love languages. But when we're in love, we tend to speak all five love languages to the person that we're with. We're giving them a ton of attention. We're giving them gifts. We're speaking affirmation into their life. There's physical touch. We, you know, we're doing all the good stuff. 
And so if we all have one or maybe two love languages, we're giving them special time. If, or if we all have maybe one or two love languages, then when we're in love, those love languages are being pinged. And so not only do we feel like more than we ever did with these people, not only are we having intimate experience of touch and possibly sexuality, not only are we being acknowledged for our dreams, for all our strengths, for all of our good qualities, but our love language is being spoken. Our love tank is being filled up all the time. I've done videos on the love languages. Check it out on YouTube. Go to my YouTube channel and you'll find a piece on the love languages or read the book by Dr. Gary Chapman, who I admire and revere. Not about the love languages. All right, so that goes on for two to three years. And we inevitably, if that situation continues without interruption, we do what? We get into a committed relationship. We get married. We make a lifelong commitment to be their partner and through richer and poorer, sickness and health, till death do us part. Maybe your vows didn't sound like that, but that's the general thread of it. And the reason why we make that vow is because our forefathers figured out a long time ago that falling in love is a short-term experience. And they know that richer and poorer come. They know that sickness and health come. They know that the hard times, you know, like any experience, hard times come and we go through it together. And what builds that relationship are those hard times. So how do we handle this? We fall in love. We're in it for like after three years, we've, we, maybe we've had kids and we stopped being in love, both of us. And because of the kids, we now turn into the ultimate tag team wrestling team, right? Mom and dad, maybe both of us are earning wages. Maybe one of us are earning wages. Maybe we're sharing the household chores. Maybe, maybe one of them is doing most of them. Uh, but inevitably, someone's getting them to school more than the other one. Someone's picking them up more than the other one. Someone's feeding everyone more than the other one. We all start going to our strengths and doing what we're good at. And what happens is we start building parallel lives to support the family and children, which is normal and natural. We go to our strengths and we do what our strengths are. And that falling in love station drops off. And what happens to the intimacy is the question. The intimacy drops also. Why? Because we're not focusing on the marriage, because we're focusing on getting life done, because we're all about taking care of the kids, feeding, earning money, etc. And we start to seek personal fulfillment in our individual experiences. Now, we've all been in lockdown for four months now, and it's easing in some places. Some places have more going on than others, but there are very few places where large gatherings are encouraged. There are very few places where you can really go to the gym. There are very few places where people are comfortable hugging unless it's your immediate family. So we know that the general sense of interaction in the society has come down and we've all been at home with each other more. How many of you are having more trouble now that you're at home together? Show of hands. Now, some of you are actually working at your intimacy in lockdown and hats off to you, but the bulk of people are actually under more stress in the COVID environment because it's harder to work 40 hours, help your partner work 40 hours, and help the kids show up for their video education and make sure that everybody eats and make sure that the house is clean and take care of ourselves. It's harder to do that with all that outside support cut off. And so intimacy for most people 
has dropped. And that's what this video is about right here. That's what this piece is about. That's what this podcast is about. If you're hearing this on a podcast, we're talking about how to build intimacy even under these circumstances. Now intimacy actually has a lot in common with resilience, interestingly enough. And building resilience is our ability to bounce back, our ability to recover, to thrive under adverse conditions. And there is a parallel between intimacy and resilience. And now let me be very clear. You don't have to have an intensely intimate relationship to build resilience, but you do have to have some of the qualities of intimate relationships in your life in order to do it. And you don't have to build resilience to have intimacy and building intimacy will build resilience in your life. The two are interlinked. The first factor in building intimacy is knowing and liking yourself. And interestingly, the first leg of the resilience chair is knowing who you are and accepting yourself, self-acceptance and self-knowledge. They are both rooted on the same leg. Some social scientists suggest that the initial step towards intimacy with others is getting to know and like yourself. By coming to know and value yourself, you identify your innermost feelings and needs and develop the security to share them with others. So if you're having trouble with intimacy in your marriage right now, it might have something to do with how you feel about yourself. And only you know for sure. I'm for darn sure not going to tell you. In resilience, knowing yourself and liking yourself are intimately related to building resilience. But today we're going to talk about intimacy. Next week we'll tap resilience. Second leg in the intimacy process is trusting and caring. And you could almost separate those out. When trust exists, partners feel secure and they feel secure that disclosing intimate, if you'll pardon the word feelings or secrets or things about themselves that they haven't shared with other people will not lead to ridicule, rejection or other harm. In fact, when there's trust, the other person might even celebrate it with you or maybe they'll poke fun at themselves having similar feelings or maybe they'll help you laugh at yourself, anything to, to make it safer Without, they won't ridicule you. They won't go, oh my God, you felt like that. Like intimacy, in an intimate situation, there's trust and you know that the other person accepts you warts and all, right? It's kind of that thing of you fall in love two to three years and what happens? Uh, I, a friend of mine once said, never watch your wife go to the bathroom because it ruins, <laughs> it ruins intimacy. Actually, he's wrong. It ruins, it might ruin falling in love, but it actually builds intimacy because if you can accept each other, farts, burps, and everything, and everything, then there's trust because the other person knows that you love them no matter what kind of smells come out of their bodies, no matter how they may look on a given, in a given moment, no matter what they've exposed to you, they know that you love them. Research shows that trust builds gradually as people come to see the other person has made a sincere investment in the relationship. So a sincere investment in the relationship is accepting one another as you are. A sincere investment in the relationship might be, my wife tells me that um, she didn't really get it about my feeling for her until she was really ill. She was hospitalized, 
She needed to have major surgery. And I was in the hospital every day, four hours. And she came out of it actually with an ostomy bag. And we were still intimate. And she thought nobody would ever want her with an ostomy bag. And she didn't get that I loved her. I didn't really care how she looked. I didn't really care what was going on there, that I was, I was there 100% for her. And after that experience, her trust and her confidence in me was like 9 million percent more. She realized that that's beyond seeing someone in the bathroom. Caring is an emotional bond that allows intimacy to develop. Now, I was just saying, I really love and care for my wife. Like if, if I'm not even gonna give horrible examples. I love her no matter what. I love her unconditionally. When people care about each other, they seek to fulfill each other's needs and interests. And she knows that I have her back and that I support her in her life and that I'm willing to give up major, major concerns to support her in her life. And the deal is she has the same going on. If it were one-sided, if she were just growing and thriving and I were sacrificing and sacrificing, that wouldn't work because that isn't loving and caring for myself, right? The first piece is knowing and loving yourself. Well, if you love yourself, you don't just support others without ever taking care of yourself or ever growing yourself. So that first piece is really key. Okay, the third leg of intimacy is honesty. When we're making love with other people, it's helpful to consider what information we need to be honest about to help our partner make an informed choice and what information we'd like our partners to be honest with us about. It might be that you have uh, an incurable sexually transmitted disease. It might be that you were sexually abused at an early age. You want your partner to know anything that might make you uncomfortable about sex, about the process. You might also want them to know the things that really, you really enjoy. I mean, if you're, if you're really invested and committed and you want it to improve, then you're gonna take the risk of telling your partner what's missing for you, what you'd like them to do that they're not doing. That goes back to knowing yourself, caring for yourself, building trust and being caring. When there's trust and safety, you can have those kinds of conversations. But honesty is important way, way, way beyond sex. Honesty is important in every aspect of our relationships. And what's interesting about this to me is, I believe that most of us are dishonest with ourselves in some way. And that honesty in many ways with ourselves is like peeling an onion. So to go back to that, if I am four onion peels away from being completely transparent to the world, let's pretend that I'm that honest, or if you're, maybe you're two onion peels away because you're better than I am. And so that means you're being dishonest with yourself about a couple of things. You may still believe that you're honest and everything that you communicate to other people is I'm honest, I'm honest, I'm honest. So when we're dishonest with ourselves and we, it goes back to the conversation about denial last week. We're in a form of denial and self-delusion about where the dishonesty is. We communicate. We can then, <laughs> going back to gaslighting, we then gaslight ourselves and other people into believing that there's complete and total honesty when there isn't. And the truth is that 
there are very few, maybe the Dalai Lama made it there, Jesus maybe, Moses, there are very few people who have been 100% completely honest with themselves. And so I think that honesty is an unveiling. And I think part of accepting one another is accepting that we all have areas where we've been dishonest with ourselves, maybe because we needed to be. Um, if someone was really traumatized as a child, they may not even remember the incident, which is a form of dishonesty. They may on some level not remember the incident because it's the only way they can function. And, they, and one day when they feel secure enough, their unconscious mind will allow them to remember the trauma and process it. And that peeling of the onion will happen and a new them will emerge. And so as long as we understand with one another that this is going on, that people change because they're constantly hopefully unfolding. Some people are not, by the way, some people are adding new layers, new layers of dishonesty, new layers of dishonesty. Be very careful who you marry. If we're constantly unfolding and un unraveling the onion and showing a new, clearer, more honest self to each other, then the intimacy is growing and growing and growing. And so what happens when we're leading these parallel lives, um, I'm picking up the kids, you're dropping off the kids, I'm cooking, you're the primary warrior journer, uh, I'm making all the social contacts, you're uh, making sure that everything runs properly. Um, when we start cutting up the job that way, we stop personal development and we stop or we have personal development that we're doing in individual ways that we're not sharing with our partner and that's actually a form of dishonesty right because they they don't know what's going on with us we're actually being more intimate with our coworkers, or god forbid someone of the opposite sex maybe we're having a relationship with someone of the opposite sex that's emotional infidelity we haven't actually had a physical relationship with them, but emotionally, we're putting more trust in them than we're putting in our spouse, who we committed to love, honor, and maybe obey, depending on who you are, through sickness and health, good times and bad, da, 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 da. That's, that infidelity, that doesn't work. That destroys honesty, that destroys trust, and it destroys intimacy. And so the way through that is leg four. And leg four is clear communication. I recently put out a survey and um, 50 percent of the respondents said they thought they had excellent communication 75 percent of the respondents the same respondents thought they really didn't have great intimacy it goes best goes back to the honesty thing so 25 percent of the respondents thought their communication was good but their intimacy was bad you can't have one without the other so they're not those people were not are not being completely honest with themselves about the, their communication being effective because communication is a two-way street that embraces sending and receiving messages. It, if it's honest, there's nothing held back. The other part is they may be listening, understanding communication as I express my point of view very well and he expresses his point of view very well. But maybe what's missing is listening. And so, a piece that I love to work on with couples is what are they really saying? What are we really hearing? What are, are we expressing our feelings responsibly? Thank you for coming by at this moment, Mr. Jet Plane. It's amazing that there is a Jet Plane. I didn't know if planes were flying. Are, they, are we expressing ourselves clearly and are we being heard clearly? And a lot of the work that I do in workshops, got one coming up for you intimacy lovers, a complimentary one, more later, is we'll work on 
speaking our feelings responsibly and hearing, reflecting back what we're hearing, being a dedicated listener. No matter how good a listener you are, you can always be a better one. Trust me on this. A lot of experience with that. It is important also that when we're communicating someone to listen not only to the words, but also to their nonverbal cues. So it isn't just the words coming out of their mouth. It's their tone, their gestures, their body language, their facial expressions, all those things. And actually studies show that we read people more on tone and body language and facial expressions than we do on the actual words. But very often, we buy the actual words. So what that means is there's that honesty disconnect happening. That means that um, intellectually we buy the words when emotionally in our unconscious mind, there's red flags going up. And that, does that build trust? No, that reduces trust. Okay, so I've given you the four legs of intimacy. Communication, clear communication, honesty, trusting and caring, knowing and liking yourself, the four legs of intimacy. So I'm gonna challenge you now. I challenge you to take a look at your intimate relationships, whether they be your partner at home, your partner at work, your children, your parents. These are all different kinds of intimate relationships, by the way. Intimate relationships definitely are not always about sex. Look at your intimate relationships and Ask yourself, how am I doing with knowing and liking myself? How am I doing with trusting and caring? How am I doing with honesty? Really, really, really? And how am I doing with communication? And if there's a breakdown in one area, I promise you that there's a breakdown in the other three because they're all intertwined. Like another plane, I could almost go on vacation. They're, these are just le lenses for looking at intimacy. I'm challenging you to look at that. And my request is that as you look at it, think about what would you like help with. I've got a workshop that I'm building and delivering on intimacy, probably going to come out in two or three weeks. It's a, non, it's a fundraiser for a not-for-profit. We're going to be raising money for St. Jude's Hospital. St. Jude's, in case you're wondering, provides support for families whose children are going through the trauma of cancer. So they help maintain intimacy in the most intense and stressful situation. They also build resilience in those situations. Uh, and for a small donation or even no donation to St. Jude's, you can attend this workshop. Keep your eyes out on, uh, follow me on Facebook, follow me on LinkedIn, follow me on Instagram or follow me on YouTube. There will, and follow this podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, there will be more information on this coming out in the next week or two. Or simply reach out to me uh, direct message me, email me, rich, R-I-C-H, at richinrelationship.com, all one word, R-I-C-H-I-N-R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P.com. That's all I have for you today on intimacy. I want you to really meditate on this because the joy of life comes out of intimacy. The joy of life comes out of having relationships that are deep and filled with trust and filled with caring and filled with fulfillment. I can tell you as a believer that the, one of the deepest relationships I have is with my higher power, who I choose to call God. And it's a relationship I work on every day. And that same effort that we put into, that I put into that, I put into my marital relationship. And I'm learning to 
learning to put it into relationship with my children who are flown from the coop, learning to work on building those intimate relationships with them as adults. And hopefully we're all learning together. Thank you.